This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Listen to the new Thin Green Line podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Game wardens John Norris and Wayne Saunders talk about wildlife, the outdoors, law enforcement, environmental subjects mixed with current events and guests that are part of the Thin Green Line. And if you are one of those visual people, like me, for $5 a month, you can see the actual podcast on Patreon.com. Just search the Thin Green Line podcast on Patreon.com and join us. Keep wildlife out of your trash. The wildlife trash safe developed by Presby Steel does just that. It is made of 14-gauge steel, welded construction, and holds a 32-gallon trash can or 10 kitchen bags. It has been Black Bear tested and was developed in conjunction with the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department. They are lockable, rollable, and they have free delivery in Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. Call today, 603-752-3022 or presbysteel.com. That's P-R-E-S-B-Y-S-T-E-E-L.com. Keep the wildlife wild and out of your trash with a wildlife trash safe. Guidefitter is the industry network for professional outdoor guides and outfitters the trusted destination for consumers seeking and sharing guided hunting and fishing experiences of a lifetime, and the enterprise influencer marketing platform for outdoor brands. Guidefitter and its members represent the pulse of the guided hunting and fishing industry. Guidefitter's outdoor partners provide discounts to select types of outdoor professionals, including game wardens, members of the military, guides, outfitters, and other outdoor professionals. Over 145 brand partners and counting Gear across many categories, including packs, footwear, clothing, flashlights, knives, optics, even firearms and ammo. 
For more information, go to guidefitter.com slash wardenswatch. That's wardenswatch, all one word. I'm Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and I'm a member of Guidefitter. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. This podcast is brought to you by Maine Operation Game Thief and Wildlife Heritage, a foundation of New Hampshire at nhwildlifeheritage.org and International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch, Episode 37, Tyler Tulipseed, former Chief of Wildlife Law Enforcement of Nevada, and it was less, well, it was almost a year ago that I interviewed Tyler, and it was the same time, John, that we did our first interview at the International Wildlife uh, Wildlife Crime Stoppers Conference, which is, uh, yeah, it's almost in a year. It seems crazy. It's gone fast, hasn't it? I can't believe it's been a year, man, since we met. I met I met Tyler for the first time at that same conference, Wayne. Uh, that was South Lake Tahoe, and I remember you and I did a great interview, and it was a great time to see Tyler and so many chiefs from across the country you know, working together for the wildlife trafficking problem, you know, not only in America, but all the issues worldwide and all the things we've been talking about so much on both of our podcasts. So um, kind of sad to see Tyler retire, such a good mm. dude, um, did a lot for Nevada, um, still does, but so neat to, to see him still in the game. And uh, this one's a real good one when you get to know a little bit more about him. Good stuff. Yeah. And the interesting thing about Tyler, I found he came right from the field as a game warden to being the chief, which that's a huge step. And he certainly understood that it took him a couple of years to get that under his belt. And, but I think, you know, that that's a, a good way to go sometimes because you're so in touch with what's going on in the field that you, maybe you can make some changes that make a difference to the little guy or cause you still have that mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Tyler was one of those guys that just has credibility and such a great reputation as a chief because like you said, Wayne, he had boots on the ground from the start. 
you know, I know in California, my mentors and other chiefs I've known throughout the country and the, the, the people that, you know, led our troops for years, the ones that did the best job and had the best reputation were the ones that started off as game wardens and had long tenure as game wardens in the field before promoting into those other, you know, the uh, upper, upper middle management beyond positions. So yeah, he's, he's a boots on the ground game warden, man. He's a game wardens game warden. And that's exactly why the guys resonate so well with him and the gals in Nevada and why he did such a great job there. Yeah. And the other reason I, I wanted to follow up after our memorial uh, podcast about William Pogue and Conley Elms, Tyler has a family connection with the Elms family. Connerly Elms' brother is a game warden as well. And that is Tyler's connection <laughs> wow. to being a game oh, warden. Wow. That was yeah, yeah. part of his influence to become a game warden. And that's uh that that's 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 huge when you find, you know, the 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 warden that's your influence, his brother died in the line of duty and you still want to be a game warden. It just says so much for our job, I you know, I think. It really does. And so much for Tyler, you know, and mm. in finding motivation from such a tragic event in our, in our thin green line history. And you and I just did that memorial episode that by far was the most emotional podcast I've ever done. Mm. Um, you know, you and I shared a pretty heavy day talking about it before we broadcasted during the broadcast during the recording. And, um, and it, I, I'm still kind of, kind of heavy from that. It's only mm. been a couple of weeks, but um, the Pogue Elms event, as we all know, did so much and changed so much for for the thin green line of wildlife officers all over the country and, and really showed how serious and dangerous our job is. And it's uh, what a great connection Tyler has having having family there and and how much that resonates with with him and and everybody he used to he used to lead, you know. Yeah, so what a what a great podcast to, to follow up that uh, that dedication podcast that we did for our fallen brothers. So just with that connection, it just seemed easy for me to make that selection. Yeah, it was perfect fit. And this is a good one. Our listeners are not going to want to miss a really good one on this episode. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, here it is. Episode 37, Tyler Tulipseed, Chief of Wildlife Law Enforcement. It's actually the Law Enforcement of the Wildlife Division, and I always get that wrong. So everybody has a little different name. (laughs) Yeah, Nevada's is one of the strangest, actually. Straight wildlife. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, man. Was that your dog drinking water, man? (laughs) That's all I can think to do. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're back in the RV in California, and she's over here walking with right next to I'm like, I'm trying to figure out that sound, and that's that's John's dog drinking water. So yeah, <laughs> that brings it all that, together that, there. That's the retired canine, man. That's right. Hey, enjoy this podcast. <laughs> this podcast is with uh, the Chief of Nevada, and it's Fish and Wildlife, uh, Tyler. Nevada Department of Wildlife. Nevada Department of Wildlife. I think we, we all have different names as we go around. Some are fishing games, some are warden service, and exactly. you know it's it's hard to remember. I was, I was trying to look at your name tag there. So yeah, so <laughs> chief of the law enforcement division division in Nevada Department of Wildlife. Right, and by definition, a lot of people don't know fish are included in wildlife under the definition technically. So, right. you know, we don't have to really have to spell out fish and wildlife because under wildlife, fish is there. Exactly. We're like a lot of agencies, you know, used to be fishing game and then people decided that that needed to be broader. So right. back in the 80s, I think, changed to, to 
Department of Wildlife. Right. And and I got a, your last name, Turnipseed. You, you've been picked on a lot through your life over that, I bet. A little bit, yeah. A little bit? <laughs> yeah. Growing up around western Nevada, a lot of people just knew the name, so it wasn't that big of a novelty. Okay. So that's, yeah. a, that's a regional name? Well, a little bit. Most, you know. I've never heard it. There's only a handful around, like my brother, my dad, you know. I think it's kind of unique and cool. Yeah, supposedly it's uh, it's Swiss, but uh, a village in Switzerland that speaks German, which apparently is not uncommon. German speaking Swiss, huh? So yeah, well, that's very interesting. It's memorable, whether you want it to be or not. No, no, there's no doubt that I'm, I'm going to remember you, Tyler, because yeah. Uh, yeah, Tyler Turnipsey, the chief of Nevada law enforcement, and you've been doing that for about five years now. Yeah, so I took the chief's job in August of 2014, so it'll be five years next month. Great, and uh, when you did that. You know, that's a, that's a big shift, isn't it, from the field to the chief? Yeah, it was a huge leap for me. I skipped a couple steps in between. We've got, we've got uh, three regional supervisors, lieutenants, um, and then we've got three captains at headquarters who oversee programs. By the way, things worked out. I went straight from the field to the chief's position, so there was a huge learning curve. It was drinking from a fire hose the first few years. Yeah, I kind of feel like podcasting's been like that for me, too, so I totally understand. Good, yeah, good. Yeah, no, I'm... Uh, and that that is a jump, but then you get that you're still in touch with the field and you know what's going out on out there and you know how to help, don't you? Yeah, hopefully. As years go by, I probably uh, lose touch more than I should, but, but yeah, I still feel like I have a handle on what goes on in the field. And when I first took over, I was a little bit weak in the captain's levels and the and the lieutenant's levels, you know, some staffing, filling, backfilling retirements and that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. Had a, a captain who was on medical leave for almost a year, so... Um, that first year or two was really a struggle. Now I'm to the point, knock on wood, these last two years where I've had really good crew of captains and lieutenants to where they make my job a lot easier. Really good support is, is no matter where you are, it's great. Exactly. A couple good administrative people as well. And so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm at legislature or wildlife commission meetings or whatever, the day-to-day stuff gets taken care of, which is a luxury. And your best na- days as a game warden, I'm assuming, are in the field. Exactly. You know, we're everybody in this field gets into this career because we want to work out in the mountains and mm. and the forests and the deserts and the lakes and the rivers and all that sort of stuff. Nobody says, hey, I want to be a game warden so I can go work in an office. But uh, we're a very small department, a uh, small agency, and, and uh, sort of felt like it was time where I needed to step up or else watch somebody else do it and, and maybe not be happy with what they were going to do. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, stepped up and, and uh, here I here I am. That's that's great. I'm sure a lot of people appreciated you stepped up because uh, that's that, that's a tough job. I think so. Probably some appreciated it and some haven't. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, there on some level, I sort of thought because the position was vacant for several months. There were two or three other guys who I thought were going to apply, and I was going to be very happy to work for them and mm-hmm. and uh, talk to them several times. And they had all decided, no, we're not going to apply. And wow. so then I started laying awake at night thinking about it and wondering if I should be considering it. And, and uh, decided that I should and went in and talked to our director and and uh, essentially came out with the job so wow wasn't really on my wasn't really on my five-year plan six <laughs> years ago but but here I am yeah no that, that, that's great so when did you start wanting to be a game warden fairly of course I grew up hunting and fishing like a lot of us do lived in Utah when I was a little kid and don't remember a whole lot about it because we moved to Nevada when I was young but consider myself very lucky to have grown up in a family that appreciates outdoors uh, my dad's a hunter and an angler, and and uh, my mother, my mother of course appreciated the outdoors. We camped a lot when I was a kid, and it seems like we were always out in the hills. We lived up in the mountains, had a trout stream in our backyard. Uh, we were always either cutting firewood or camping or or uh, fishing or 
we're hunting in the fall, any of that kind of stuff. And, and so at some point you start thinking, man, maybe I ought to see if I can find a career where I can do this stuff professionally. Do all that stuff. Yeah, combine that with, we had a family friend, Mike Elms, who, who we're still in contact with today. He was an Idaho fishing game warden out of Mountain Home, Idaho, back in the 70s and 80s. And, and uh, it was his brother, Conley Elms, who was murdered by Claude, Claude Dallas in 1981. And and uh, I was seven years old at the time, but but it was a memorable event for my family because they were family friends. You're you know? connected. Yeah, and so like a lot of us, I have a, a game warden family friend in my in my uh, past that was probably an influence as well. Could could you kind of relay the story for the listeners? Because I'm not sure if everybody's familiar with that. Yeah, as as the years go by, that chapter is further and further in the rear, rearview mirror, of course. But um, Claude Dallas was. Uh, was a man who had moved out to Nevada and Southern Idaho, I think probably in the 70s from the East Coast. Was sort of took it upon himself to be living out in the middle of nowhere and trapping and, and uh, shooting shooting things illegally and out of season. And, and uh, he spent a lot of time in what later became my patrol area, Humboldt County, Nevada, mm-hmm. uh, Paradise Valley, Winnemucca area, um, and then Southern Idaho. But uh, was contacted in a camp one day with some, I believe, illegal bobcats. Uh, in 1981 by two Idaho fishing game wardens just inside the Idaho boundary and ended up killing two Idaho fishing game wardens, Conley Elms and Bill Pogue, and, and then uh, was on the run for several months and was caught and then escaped from prison, was on the run for a few more months and was caught. So yeah, that was you know a pretty important episode in the West in the early 80s. And that impacted game wardens nationwide. You know, I, I told you I still have that 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 sketch uh, Bill Pogue did on my wall that reminds me of that incident. You know, on a, on a daily basis, I can remember what a dangerous you know job being a game warden can be. So yeah, exactly. And and uh, at at some point, things like that are in the back of your mind every day when you go to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're in the field, for the most part, we train well, we're well equipped, and and uh, we do the job as best we can and as safely as we can. Um, I was fairly fortunate in the field. I I never. Uh, was involved in any officer-involved shootings, anything like that. Um, had my gun out a couple times, uh, mm-hmm. had my taser out a couple times, but uh, never was forced to escalate to that next level. That, that's that's great. That's you know sometimes that's a skill verbally that a lot of game wardens have that can de-escalate those situations for sure. Sure, yep. I'm certainly, uh, that, that that hits home that that story and uh, having that personal connection, and then you know still wanted to be that game warden working in that county that uh, Claude Dallas. Uh, had had been in and uh yeah. probably always in the back of your mind yeah and you know we all work out in the middle of nowhere especially in nevada the our patrol areas are huge remote you know may, or may not have may, <laughs> yeah may or may not have radio coverage um this is and, my first time in nevada and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you it's just it's just vast that's big open spaces yeah massive jagged mountains yeah we're of course we're over here in the sierras for this conference but the the majority of nevada is is uh Public land, a lot of high desert, uh, cold mm. desert type country in the north. Down south, we, we dip into the Mojave Desert and the Colorado River country. But yeah, most of northern Nevada, um, huge wide open spaces. We still have some valleys that are 30 miles long and 15 miles across and don't have anyone living in them or you know maybe have two or three ranches. My, I always say when I was a patrol game warden in Winnemucca, I patrolled an area of Massa- the size of Massachusetts by myself. Mm. Um, and that's just the nature of... of of how small we are. We've got about 31 field game wardens when we're fully staffed and fully staffed is a mystical place. I've never been before, but, <laughs> but uh, if we were fully staffed, we've got about 31 field level patrol wardens. And then of course, a couple lieutenants, captains, as I said, and, and right. myself at the chief's level, but, and a few investigators. Yeah. That 
since we're a self-funded agency, like most fish and game agencies, mm-hmm. uh, we sell just shy of 30,000 big game tags every year. And, and uh, that's a large part of our funding, fishing license sales. And then, of course, right. the boating end of things, Coast Guard money and, and yep. boat registration money. But, but since we're a small... Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Or a state that doesn't sell a huge number of tags, therefore our fishing game agency is not huge. And so that puts you in a scenario where, for a lot of my career, my nearest neighboring game warden was two hours away. Wow. You know, just you're, you may or may not have backup. And if you do, it's going to be a sheriff's deputy who it's going to take him a couple hours to find you. And, and uh, you know, everybody we deal if, with. If he can find you. Yeah, if they can find you. And, and the vast majority of the people we deal with are armed um, with a firearm or a knife or whatever. So, so yeah, it's, it's something we think about when we go to work every day. Just big, wide open, remote country. Yeah. Any cases that you've made that stand out in your mind as far as that big open country and uh, coming across some, some people and doing an investigation? And Yeah. You know, we, uh, I've got a friend who was a game warden in Virginia, and first time he came to Nevada, he said, man, how do you ever catch anybody here? They can see you coming from miles <laughs> away. I said, Very yeah, good point. That's true, but we can also watch what they're doing from miles away. And gotcha. so we literally spend hours doing that, sitting behind your spotting scope, watching what people are doing, whether it's a boating issue, looking at their registration sticker, or whether it's, you know, fishing, sitting on a ridge top, counting how many fish somebody catches over mm-hmm. a four-hour span. It takes a lot of patience, and I think that's hard to learn as a young new game warden. You want to go 90 miles an hour everywhere. And, One action. Yeah, talk to everybody that you can find. and and uh, That's a trick in Nevada, finding people. Exactly. I remember some of the old gray bearded game wardens when I was young telling me that, you know, you're going to need to slow down and sit and watch and Mm -hmm. and observe. And if you only contact two people in a day or three people, that may be more valuable than running around, you know, with your hair on fire, contacting everybody you can find, but never observing. Mm. And uh, I remember there was a game warden from from Lincoln County down south who told me the first time you're ever sitting in a spot and you actually see somebody do something wrong, it's going to shock you a little bit. <laughs> and he was right. I was I was in uh, a little rural town in southern Nevada, Overton, one of my first duty stations, and there was some uh, alfalfa fields in the it's kind of in the middle of town that had turkeys in them. And one adjacent landowner did not allow anybody to hunt the turkeys, and the landowner right next door did allow people to hunt turkeys. It was really kind of an urban setting with traffic going by and all this stuff. And I was there one morning, opening opening day of turkey season, and there was a big tom turkey strutting across the field that didn't allow hunting. And I had noticed there was a truck just half a block from me that appeared to probably have some hunters in it. And uh, when that turkey crossed from the field that didn't allow hunting onto the field that did, I see a shotgun barrel start moving around inside the truck. And I thought, you know, surely they've seen me. They're not going to do this right here in front of me. Because there was a line of traffic, a, a paved street between them and the turkeys, residential neighborhood. Sure enough, shotgun barrel comes out the driver's side window of the truck, and kaboom, this guy rolls this turkey over across a paved street. Shot right across the road. Yeah, right across the road, morning traffic going to work. Huh. Uh, rolls this turkey over and then jumps out and turned and looked at me, and, and you could just see the look on his face like, oh, I just got I just got had. Yeah, it, it shocked me. There was a couple-second delay where I thought, whoa, 
what do I do? Yeah, you're, like, you're comprehending it. Yeah, exactly. It took a minute for my brain to digest what <laughs> did, I had Did just, I just, just see what I just saw? <laughs> exactly. I couldn't really believe that they just did that right in front of me. And mm. with a marked patrol unit sitting there, not not 100 yards behind them. They get that that, that tunnel vision. Exactly. They get it too. They get so socked in. Yep. Uh, I've grabbed guns out of people's hands as after they shot and said, game warden. And then they pull back and I pull back and I'm like, game warden. And all of a sudden, you're right, that, that comprehension on their face, it's like, Oh no! <laughs> yep, they were so locked in on killing that turkey that they had that's no idea right. What, what else was going on around them? Yeah, no, uh, that, that's that's pretty. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, big wide open spaces. We we sit and watch people for hours sometimes to see what they're going to do. Mm. Especially if you've got, you know, we have a, a saying in the business that you need to you need to find uh, the spot that's got crooks, critters, and and uh, what's the third one? The saying you. You need the three in one. I haven't spot. heard that saying, so I can't help you. Yeah, Crook, if you can crooks critters, and if you can find the spot with the with the uh, critters, and then find where people are going to drive by, uh, that's a good spot to be sitting. If you can, you you know, you find a group of deer. It's deer season. You might be better off sitting and watching those deer rather than racing down the road to see find the next truck. Ah, I never heard the the crooks critters, and now I botched up the saying. I'll have yeah. to try to think of what they're going to have to because <laughs> now, now, now I'm yeah. just wondering. So, cops. It, Cops, crooks, and critters. You get the three in the same in the same Pops, spot. Cops, cooks, the same and look. critters, and yep, you get cases. There you it's go. The fourth. There you go. The fourth C. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Were you ever involved in covert any covert stuff? Because I think that's pretty effective. Yeah. So, sort of my uh, landmark case of my career. You know, every game warden's got the the pinnacle case that they made in their career, and mine was a covert case. I worked uh, in the mid two thousands um, on some gentlemen from Southern California who would buy buy or draw Utah deer tags, but then hunt just inside Nevada. Um, a lot of Nevada's units are very hard to draw. It takes years to draw a tag, but then right on the other side of the border, like in Utah, they have thousands of tags, so much easier to get a tag. Hmm. So our local resident warden had been working these guys for several years and, and had come really close to catching them, had caught them one year, um, but they were able to slip through the fingers with a, a new judge or, or some issue back in the in the 90s. But so... Um, we decided we were going to try to work our way in with these guys in a, in an undercover capacity. Um, so I was working with our, our federal agent in Las Vegas at the time, who's now retired, but he was just an outstanding covert officer. Very smooth, could talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I was new to covert stuff, so I just followed his lead. And, and uh, we spent about two years working our way in with these guys, befriending them, and, and uh, ended up uh, camping with them, staying in a cabin with them that that their family had built, and and uh, they invited us to come hunt with them, and we documented them doing all this stuff and and uh, killing a deer in Nevada with a Utah tag. Um, got it on video actually, and uh, they had totally befriended us and and totally trusted us in that capacity to the extent that they had uh, they had code words worked out. They had walkie talkies, radios that they uh-huh. would communicate on, and and uh, but they were a little bit paranoid. Utah has a blaze orange law. Nevada doesn't. So if they were going to hunt the Nevada side on a given day, they were very careful to take their orange off so that they gotcha. didn't look like a Utah hunter. Uh-huh. And then uh, if anybody in their party got suspicious that there might be a game warden in the area, they were to get on the radio and say, Elvis is in the building. And then they knew that there might be a game <laughs> warden nearby. So they had all these code words worked out. Uh, one day they, they thought that they heard somebody on the radio that they didn't recognize. So they sent one of the members of their party and me back down towards the cabin to check and see if anyone was around. And, and, uh, 
I'm riding on the back of this guy's four-wheeler, and he turns around to me and says, these older guys, they're really paranoid about game wardens being around, but I think it adds an extra element of excitement to the hunt. <laughs> and I'm riding on the back of this guy's four-wheeler, trying to remember all this to document it. He just doesn't report. know how exciting it is. <laughs> exactly. Little did he know there was one sitting six inches behind him on the back rack of his four-wheeler. Uh, so uh, we, we were able to document this deer being illegally killed and then backed out. We... We told him we had to head to town, and we left, and then sent in a uniform team that afternoon to do the takedown, and and uh, just a you know great case with all that premeditation and and uh, yeah. trying to write down all those quotes about the the Elvis is in the building and going to check make sure there wasn't a game warden back down by camp and all that sort of stuff. So and you got really close to these guys if you're sitting on the back back of their four wheelers. It's very unnerving if you're not used to that to uh, camp with someone, you know, go to sleep in their camp every night and mm. eat with them and, and all that sort of stuff to where uh, it's, it was a, felt like a, a thousand pounds off my shoulders when we left the camp and all of a sudden you could talk openly and. Because you're always on edge. Yeah. Not be worried about revealing your identity, all that right. sort of stuff. So. Unintentionally you could do that. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, they, they, these weren't, uh, these weren't horrible people. They were, they seemed like nice enough right. guys just doing doing it wrong they weren't the gangster bikers up there hunting right so. right and so uh we we pulled out uniform team came in did the takedown ended up being uh, the first felony wildlife conviction in nevada history um our our uh, poaching law had had uh, been bumped up to a felony about two years earlier at the legislative level and this was our first our first uh conviction um that stayed a felony and wasn't pled down um one of the one of the gentlemen came up for his court appearance in pioch nevada and i think was planning to drive back home that day and ended up leaving the courtroom in handcuffs and spent 30 days in the jail in Pioch, Nevada. So no, that, that's going to be a shocker. Yeah. And I don't tell th- honey, I'll be home, you know, after this thing. And exactly. 30 days later she sees him. Exactly. And as you know, jail time is fairly rare for a wildlife case, it but uh, this judge was pretty offended that this went on in his County and, and uh, the report showed, like I said, all of this intent, it was certainly not an accident. These guys were, were there intentionally doing this and, and knew what they were doing. So wow. they threw the book at him. Yeah. In a great case and an achievement, you got to be proud to say the first felony case in Nevada that you're part of. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to be right place, right time, and and uh, made that happen. But it's probably one of my claims to fame. Yeah, one of, one of my very few. Right, <laughs> but, and, and it takes a few because of the deterrent of getting somebody like that, and then you promote it, and this is the way to, that deters people that aren't so bad. Sure, we're like a lot of agencies. We do a media release when we when we have a good case, and that's not to embarrass someone, but I said we're a small agency 31 field wardens the odds of us being in the right place at the right time to catch somebody doing something wrong are, are fairly mm-hmm. low so a we have to rely on the public really heavily uh, to help us out when they see something going wrong we have an operation game thief hotline um, like like a lot of states do it's secret witness for wildlife crime we rely heavily on that but then to that media angle we'll you know we'll do a press release when someone's arrested when someone's convicted because we want that to be a deterrent to where maybe that sways somebody who's thinking, Hey, you know what? We ought to go out spotlighting this weekend or, or, uh, I'm going to try to fill my wife's tag cause she drew a really good elk tag right. and I'm going to go shoot her elk. Uh, if somebody sees that in the newspaper and realizes the fines and potential mm-hmm. for jail time and maybe losing your truck, all those sort of things. Um, uh, my, my thought is that if that prevents some wildlife crime that we never know about, then that was a good thing. Absolutely. And preventative stuff is just as important as catching the bad guy. Sure. Preventing it. Yeah, you know, game wardens always debate the benefit of a truck that's all painted up with game warden logos versus a more low-profile truck. And, of course, the low-profile truck, it's easier to sneak up on people and catch right. them doing something wrong. The uh, 
a highly marked parade truck, we call it, maybe harder to sneak up on people, but a lot more people are going to see you and recognize who you are and see you in traffic. And, of that deterrent. And, uh, yeah, present an image that there are a bunch of game wardens out there just by, by flying the flag and being seen. Yeah, and in Nevada, do you have both, or do you have all marked, or all mostly unmarked? all marked? Um, our three regional investigators uh, will drive an unmarked, but mm-hmm. um, for the most part, our patrol folks are in a marked truck. Um, they're a little more subdued than they were ten years ago. We used to have a mm-hmm. great big blue stripe that run down runs down the side. We've right. shrunk we've shrunk that down a little bit, but got a blue stripe and a badge on the door, and then some game warden report wildlife crime uh, logos on the tailgate and the fenders. Gotcha. So they're they're pretty visible. No, and I think that's that's a good thing when they, when people you roll up on them and they know what you're all about and exactly. Well, but it, it's good to have that balance too. And are your investigators plain clothes for the most part? You know, sometimes they'll throw on a uniform to go do some uniform stuff, right. depending on what they're working on. But uh, yeah, if, if the if the patrol field wardens have larger scale cases or residency investigations that you know stuff like that that they don't have time for, they can ask for help from that regional investigator to uh, to come spend more time on a case that's more time consuming. Right. And I'd like to talk about a little bit about the wildlife in Nevada because I think a lot of people think Nevada it's flat. They think Vegas when they think Nevada, at least from the East Coast. I think Vegas and exactly. there are a lot of animals in Vegas, but you know, I'm thinking <laughs> lots more of wildlife, <laughs> lots yeah. of wildlife and yeah, a lot of people around the country when they hear Nevada, um, I have to caution you, don't call it Nevada to the locals. We oh, get offended sorry. by that. Yeah, but but uh, a lot of people when they get sound like a from Boston, Nevada, right? Right, exactly. Okay. And so uh I can I can do that. <laughs> when the, I went to school in Montana, and um, when people would hear I was from Nevada, they'd say, oh, is it true that prostitution is legal there? You know, yeah, you'd expect them to ask about gambling or Las Vegas or whatever, <laughs> but a lot of them would, would go to that. But, um, yeah, a lot of people picture Las Vegas when, when they think of Nevada, and certainly Vegas is a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the vast majority of our population lives in Clark County, which is Las Vegas. Certainly down there, there's Mojave Desert. It's very dry, desert bighorn sheep. Uh, Lake Mead is there. About half of our game wardens uh, are are at least funded partially by boating money. Uh, mm-hmm. We do the boating enforcement on Mead, Mojave, Colorado River at Laughlin. And, that, and that's like shocking when you think Nevada to think it's funded by boating because people don't think boating when they think Nevada. Exactly. That Colorado River system down south is very busy. Lots of fatalities, boat accidents, drunk, mm. drunk boater arrests, that sort of stuff. It's uh, some pretty high-speed things that you don't think of when you're getting into the field of being a right. game warden. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, the very first week I came out of the academy and started field training, uh, one of our first contacts ended up with a stolen boat, stolen motorhome, fell in with a firearm, bunch of drugs. They ran from us, were barricaded in an old building out in the desert. And, wow. And uh, I was just thinking to myself, well, I, you know, I thought I was going to be checking for fishing licenses. And right. Obviously, we do that too, but, but that boating enforcement end of things, um, you know, you're kind of a highway patrolman in a boat. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking for drunks and drugs and all that sort of stuff. So, so we do a lot of that in the summertime, especially down south, but also on the northern reservoirs here at Lake Tahoe, Lahontan Reservoir, South Fork. Some of those we we certainly get into the boating end of things in the summer as well. But uh, so you get outside of Las Vegas, and then the state gets very diverse. We've got everything from. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. You know, 12,000-foot peaks uh, down to down to where the Colorado River leaves Nevada in the south. It's, I don't know, six or 700 feet elevation. But the vast wow. majority of the state, the valley floors are 
you know, 4,000, 5,000 feet, and then surrounded by mountain ranges that are ten or 11,000 feet. Um, it's said that Nevada is the most mountainous state in the nation, just in that we've got more named mountain ranges than, than any other state. Huh. It's basin and range geology, which I don't know if you're into geology at all, but uh, where the earth, I believe, is separating, and then fault blocks fall and mountain ranges rise, and so a lot of north-south running mountain ranges. Huh. But uh, we actually have eight different big game species that we hunt in Nevada. We've got three different subspecies of bighorn sheep, which is which is a unique thing to Nevada. We've got desert bighorn in the in the southern half of the state, California bighorn in the northwest quarter of the state, and then Rocky Mountain bighorns in the northeast. Wow! Uh, so we've got three subspecies of sheep. We've got mountain goats in the Ruby Mountains by Elko, deer, elk, antelope, and black bear and mountain lion. Um, so actually nine different subspecies of, of big game that we hunt. So very diverse from that view, from that standpoint. Our elk herds have exploded over the last 30 years, uh, nice. 20 years. So, uh, you know, our, our our mule deer are plugging along, doing the best they can with habitat change. And mm-hmm. and uh, our brushlands uh, succumbing to grass, uh, you know, cheatgrass infestations after wildfires and that sort of stuff. But but our elk are doing really well in that, and our antelope are doing well. Our bighorn sheep are doing really well. So yeah. very diverse, big game, small game stuff. Uh, we have what's called the chucker partridge. It's this uh, bird that was imported um, from uh, oh, the Himalayas, I think. Yeah, yeah, somewhere over there that mm-hmm. they run up and down the steep shale rock right. mountains. And, and they love the steep stuff, yeah. Yeah, they, they make everybody mad. The saying is that you, the first time you hunt them's for fun, and every time after that's for revenge. <laughs> but... Uh, my my old patrol area in Winnemucca, tons of chucker hunters. Yeah, um, got some a few limited areas of waterfowl hunting in the state that are pretty good. And then uh, you know everything we have reptile collectors down south. We've got small game, you know, cottontail rabbit hunters. We've got we've got it all. Yeah, and, and like I said, when you think of Nevada, nobody thinks how diverse and how many different species. And yeah, that that's it's that's a pretty awesome thing. And the the three. Uh, subspecies of bighorn species is that just to Nevada is the only state that has that? Yeah, we're the only state I'm aware of that hunts all three. Um, wow. U- Utah, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona—they've got deserts and Rockies. Um, but then that California bighorn—that's a little rarer. Uh, Oregon's got them. Washington's got them. Idaho, Nevada. Oddly, I don't think California has any California bighorns. But yeah, as far as I know, we're the only state that hunts three different subspecies of, of bighorn. Uh, that that's pretty unique and pr- pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, hey, of course, uh, I was just going to say over here on the western side of the state on the Sierra front, uh, we've got black bears. Um, that's a that's an ever growing issue for us. Black bears versus humans. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of conflict on the urban inter- interface with I trash think nation- management. nationwide. That's becoming. But, you know, and, and your game wardens still deal with that most of the time. We do. Yeah, we've got we've got a couple really excellent bear biologists who help us out a lot on that mm-hmm. front. Um, but uh, yeah, our black bear population by all by all estimations, is exploding and, and uh, expanding. Um, and then, of course, with the human population exploding and expanding, that makes for a lot of conflict. Uh, absolutely. And, and they're all exploding and expanding in the same area because the bears aren't moving to the desert. Exactly. Or exactly. the high country. Yeah, right here in the Tahoe Basin, uh, before European uh, settlement, there were probably only a handful of black bears in the Tahoe Basin. But now with uh, human food subsidies, uh, dumpsters, that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, the back black bear population has exploded. Uh, so we work we work with the waste management companies and that sort of stuff. And do, do you have requirements that they have? Some municipalities secure. do have have secure trash requirements. Mm-hmm. Some don't. Uh, we're trying to work with the ones who don't to try to enforce those trash. You know, right. uh, uh, secure your trash type 
containers and bear proof containers to try to eliminate that human food subsidy. But it's a slow road to hoe and, and uh, we're, we're working on it, but lots of conflict in the bear arena. Mm. Yeah. Which unfortunately sometimes we end up euthanizing them because they get so acclimated to people that they become dangerous. Sure. Yeah. We, we try to only use that as a last resort, but, but uh, when we've got a bear that we think is escalating its aggressive behavior or it's been in a house, or it's been in a car, um, then that's generally the result. We have a saying that a fed bear is a dead bear. If mm-hmm. you know a lot of people, especially who aren't from around here, if they uh, see a bear outside and, and they think, oh, wow, how cool that is, let's give it a hot dog or something, yeah. uh, that's generally a death sentence for that bear. Once they're, once they're addicted to human food, it's very hard to turn them back to a wildland bear. Absolutely. Do you trap and move them at all? We do some, yeah. Where uh, do you take them? Some Las of each. Vegas? No, <laughs> some of each. We'll... Uh, Oftentimes we'll release them right near where they were caught um, mm-hmm. and we'll release them with some aversion techniques, you know, rubber bullets, uh, chasing them with the dogs, running up a tree, just trying mm. to show them that, that, hey, this is unpleasant when I'm hanging around in a neighborhood. Right. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, we have moved bears in the past and we still do occasionally, but a lot of times those bears come right back to where we got them. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes the younger bears will stay where we put them, but... But a bear that's been around a while, it's probably going to be back within a few days. Because when we're talking the Tahoe Basin, that's not a really a big area, is it? Yeah, it's relatively small by Nevada scale, um, mm-hmm. but so sometimes we'll move bears. We're doing a lot with DNA now to where if we're getting house break-ins on a street, if we can collect some hair samples or saliva from, from one of those houses or some of those houses, then if we catch a bear in a, in a culvert trap on that street, we can ship it over California Fishing Game is good enough to work with us on DNA analysis mm-hmm. and let us know if we've caught the right bear. Sort of just like, you know. Can you get you the results quick enough so you know? Yeah, within a couple of days. We can we wow. can hold those bears for a couple of days and, and they're fine uh, with some food and water. But um, yeah, we'll we'll uh, get that DNA back and within a couple of days. And sometimes we find out, whoops, we've got the wrong bear. Yeah. We open the door and kick them loose. Uh, find out we do have the right bear. Then we look at what the next option is. But we're doing a lot with DNA, but the reason I mention that is we used to move bears before we were doing as much DNA work because if we were having break-ins on a street, uh, a lot of bear damage, and we'd catch a bear, we'd move it out of the area and see if the break-ins would stop for a couple of days until mm-hmm. it got back. Um, <laughs> another one of the things we'll do is we'll put uh, telemetry collars or satellite collars on our bears that we've caught, uh, put them somewhere either close by or, or move them a little ways and see uh, if those bears come right back. Um, the satellite collars are very informative to us. They help us find people where that might be feeding intentionally, help us mm-hmm. find trash problems, you know, where there might be a business with an open dumpster, those sort of things. Do you have any laws prohibiting feeding black bears? We do, yep. Um, as, our, as our black bear population really started blowing up probably 10 years ago, we passed a law that made it illegal to feed a big game animal. Great, great. And that DNA stuff is just fascinating to me because uh, you're really striving to get the right bear. Exactly. You know, we've... we've uh, We've been through the ringer over the years on our bear management. I think we're doing a great job of it. The, the vast majority of the public thinks we're doing a great job of it, but mm. but that DNA analysis allows us to be a little more scientific about it and, and know if we've got the offending bear that's causing problems or not. There are a lot of bears who live in and around the urban interface around Tahoe. We've learned this from satellite collar data. There are a lot of bears who live close to people and never cause any troubles. Mm. Um, there are other bears who are going to be causing trouble, and they're going to teach their cubs how to cause trouble and, and uh, you know, perpetuate that generational troublemaker food source type bears. But yeah, we have some bears that live right close to town that people never see, and they never get in trouble. So 
yeah we try to differentiate between the two oh that that's great that you go to that extent because uh you're right it makes the public feel better and it, it makes the warden feel better that he's taking care of the problem and not just uh, euthanizing a bear that wasn't a problem exactly and and it's a fairly small number you know on average we maybe euthanize eight to ten bears a year for public safety reasons mm-hmm. as opposed to some other states and provinces that that uh you know euthanize 500 to a thousand bears a year for public right. safety issues but course the public is very sensitive to that and and uh so we're sensitive to it as well yep nope that that's awesome uh anything else you want to share because uh you know i'm really enjoying my time in nevada here it's it's opened my eyes you've opened my eyes with this podcast the people that do hunt and fish they shouldn't uh, exclude nevada you know just let's throw your your hat in the ring so to speak and enjoy this country because it's it's gorgeous like i said our tags can be a little bit hard to draw all of our big game tags are in a lottery except for mountain lion and so uh, sometimes it takes a person a few years to draw a non-resident big game tag if you follow any of the websites facebook pages magazines nevada tags are pretty highly sought after for uh Mm. you know we, we manage our big game animals pretty conservatively in terms of harvest and buck ratios and bull ratios and that sort of stuff and and uh, you can have an amazing hunt in nevada nope that, but, that, that's um, really cool so yeah come out and see us we'd love to have you it's been a great career and now i'm sort of in the twilight of it getting ready to retire and hand the reins over to somebody else and makes me a little bit emotional thinking about what a great career i've had and how fortunate i've been to uh have been the places that i've been and see the things that i've seen and you know there are those days where you just think wow i can't believe they're paying me for this we don't right. get we don't get rich but the side benefits are pretty amazing yeah no and, and i totally understand where you're at and where you're going because i've been there and uh you know to have a career like that and then to make a difference for the environment for uh the relationship with people versus animals make a difference with hunters fishermen and the general public in general it, it's it's a it's it's a big responsibility you have it's it's a lot of weight on your shoulders but it's it's something you appreciate in the end and when you step off it, it's it's hard you know yeah, it's a little bit hard to let go of i you know i'm at a point in my life where i want to see what chapter comes next but mm. uh, but it's a little bit hard to close the close the book on this chapter as well i you know very proud of my field career i think i did some some good things there after moving to headquarters um, updated some legislation some regulatory things that i think are going to be good for wildlife and good for the resources so proud of what i've done and and uh ready to ready to move it on to the next person and maybe he can tackle the things that I didn't get done. So, right. Well, I'm glad I got here before you left Tyler. Cause uh, I really enjoyed the, this, this podcast. I really enjoyed uh, learning more about Nevada, the, the animals here, how you guys deal with them and uh, getting some of those uh, stories of you catching poachers. Uh, that, that, that's, that's, it's pretty, the first felony in Nevada is uh, pretty impressive and uh, something uh, you can hang your hat on for the rest of your career. I appreciate that. I, uh, like I said, it, it's uh been an honor to have the career that I've had and and uh thank you for doing what you do I think it's great that you're you're telling the story of what game wardens do and and uh, who we are and and uh, sort of the lifestyle we lead and and why we do it right so thanks so. for doing what you do Tyler Turnipseed Nevada Chief of Law Enforcement Division it's not Law Enforcement Division within the wildlife Nevada wildlife exactly yep thanks oh, man I appreciate great. it thank you Tyler all right Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those 
who worked in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep-sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.